Hi, good morning and welcome to the Colts Boutique Show. I'm your host, Daniel Patterson. Uh, with me today is a very special guest. She has been described as a visionary for the uh, wine and spirits industry. Uh, she is now director of London Wine Fair has been, and has been for the last few years. Her name is uh, Hannah Tovey and she's joining me from uh, her home in North London. Uh, Hannah, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you. Exciting. It is very exciting indeed. And um, obviously, if we get to it, 2020 was was a very, very tough year for, for everyone uh, within uh, the industry, full stop. But, um, you know, prior to that, you've had years of experience working for various publications, including The Cancer Magazine, as well as previously working on uh, as a publisher for Imbibe and going on to launch Imbibe Live in 2010. How did the opportunity come about for you to join London Wine Fair? And what, if any, have been the most noticeable differences between London Wine Fair and the on-trade focus in Bibe? Um, I guess one thing to note was that there, there was actually quite a few years in between um, in Bibe and London Wine Fair um, when I, I worked on a couple of other projects Um and had a couple of babies, so um, there was there was a gap there. But uh, other than that, I'd say my um, my career path has always almost been um, really quite linear in a way, and and inexplicable. And and, and mm. that working on London Wine Fair now is almost a sort of obvious culmination of all the other things I've done in my past. Um, but I would say, um, in terms of the two products, the differences you 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 were asking about. Um, the differences between Imbibe and, and London Wine Fair, I'd say they're, they're very different. Clearly, there's a, a small overlap in terms of that on-trade world that was so important and Imbibe. But um, other than that, I think they're, they're very different entities. Um, when I launched Imbibe and when I ran it for, I think, about eight, nine years, um, it was um, a sort of very contained, almost self-fulfilling um, and more niche product that, that with its own portfolio was quite self-sustaining. So mm-hmm. there was a magazine, a website and an event, and it was very much on-trade buyers, on-trade sellers, and, and it, it self-fulfilled thus, um, where London Wine Fair is just by its own nature um, a much bigger entity, um, a much broader entity, and, and it is actually, you know, supposed to be that. It, it is, uh, the way I see it, it's like almost like a, a giant umbrella that that um, is above the whole trade and it, and it creates a space for all of the trade to to collaborate to learn to grow and to trade so it's it's different in that nature and and just i guess a good example of how those two things are different are for instance london wine fair will invite all of the trade press to to exhibit within the show and to host some of its competitions and to add some of its content to our event to make it an all-encompassing event um, um, and we'd see it as a very collaborative space so one of the things that I've done since I've come on board to try and take that a step further is to launch the Wine Buyers Award using all of the trade press as media partners so that we can genuinely call it something that's reflective of the whole industry. Um, So where our Wine Buyers Awards are for wine buyers of every type, whether they're buying for the on-trade, the off-trade, for an importer internationally, Imbibe would of course focus on buying for, for the hospitality sector. So I see them as super different 
but obviously I clearly see the value in each of them. I, I launched Imbibe and I now happily work on London Wine Fair. So they, they both have a space and they both have a value, but um, I do see my trajectory from, from one to the other and through all the other titles I've worked on as, as quite logical really. Yes, most definitely, most definitely. And um, when joining London, uh, the London Wine Fair team, did you have a clear vision of uh, what you wanted uh, the show to look like and say on that traditional five-year plan, where do you see yourself five years? Where do you see the structure in five years? Or did you go in with a blank canvas and want to review from the inside prior to doing any concrete planning? I guess there's some of both. Um, one likes to keep a reasonably open mind, Um you know, you can't predict five years in the future, as, as has just been demonstrated to us by 2020. Oh, I didn't expect to be sitting in there in my home conducting a, an interview from, from what used to be a back bedroom and is now an office. So, <laughs> you know, predictions are all well and good, but they usually they can get steamrolled. So um, I certainly had a three year plan mm-hmm. um, with the last two years of which were slightly less obvious because things like technology move on so quickly and when you work on publishing and exhibitions technology dramatically affects how you fulfill your your mission so it's sort of almost not worth making concrete plans that far in the future but but having a vision and a clear idea of just two things really your content and your audience um, is really important and then how you how you manifest that or how you bring that to life might change over the years depending on on technology or, or things like global pandemics Absolutely. so um the first year was very much about for me it was very much about bringing back the buzz the excitement that people had sort of associated with products i've worked on in, in the past you know there being a, a sense of excitement about them a sense of feeling of future and excitement so I wanted to do that and I did that via engaging a larger audience doing a lot of the unsexy stuff like working really hard on the data making sure that we were talking to a larger audience and a more relevant audience um, and getting rid of for instance data that wasn't relevant anymore all of that stuff is really important but perhaps not very exciting to people from the outside um, and then looking at all the content within the show and introducing a few new zones that I thought more more reflective of the times so we brought the innovation zone in to talk about how tech affects wine Um, and we brought an education zone in because we had been aware over the last few years that education was dramatically affecting how both consumers and the trade buy and sell wine and what type of wine they want and so on so new zones new audience we drove up the visitor numbers in the first year by 17 percent which is quite quite a dramatic shift and, and works out at over 2,000 more people in the show. Wow. Um, and I felt that that did a good job of giving it back some love and some life. Um, and we launched some campaigns to achieve that, like kicking off our visitor promotion campaign on Valentine's Day and making sure that all of the words used around it were about love and coming together, working together and dates together and so on. Um, just to bring back that feeling of love and respect for what is really a, a long-standing show. And, um, you know, it is the biggest opportunity we've all got to, to get together and collaborate. So I wanted to really bring that feeling back. Year two, we wanted to reinstate the sort of value of attending. Um, London Wine Fair's never charged visitors um and although over the past that's worked as a model um it's not sustainable in the current times and also perhaps doesn't set 
an agenda of value that it, that it ought to. Um, so bringing back ticketing and, and paying to attend was was a big part of year two. And then year three, three was really uh, meant to happen this year in 20, or last year in 2020. And um, obviously couldn't, but it was very much about celebrating the 40th anniversary and launching some new and exciting products to chime with that anniversary. Um, Clearly, it couldn't go ahead, but we still have all of that celebrating to do. We still have those products to launch. Um, and we have, yeah, we have now big plans for 2021. No, definitely. I'm excited to see them because I've been attending a London wine fair for about seven years now. And I, um, you mentioned, of course, um, you were looking to bring back, especially in year one, that buzz, that excitement about it. And as an example, when it, when it was at uh, XL Custom House, it was it was quite exciting anyway generally speaking however it was very it was very I, I, for me it was just very this is what you get this is what it's all about that's it you just and you move around and a split oh okay that, that was some good wine that was some bad wine that was some indifferent wine and there you go however you know in the last you know two or three years myself when I've been going to um, obviously the one in Olympia since obviously uh, London Wine Fair has removed um, back there Generally speaking, as soon as you walk in, you do have more electricity, you do have more of a buzz, you do have more engagements. It seems that the people which are there are making more of an effort to interact with the potential, you know, consumer, the buyer. Um, like you like you mentioned, obviously, um, trying to make it more exciting. There have been guest hosts before. There have been masterclasses before, which has always been educational because, you, you know, I'm sure you've come across it in your years and uh, probably still do. Like wine can be quite a, an intimidating subject, but if you can break it down for people, and like you mentioned, make it fun, make it exciting, it's, it's not as intimidating as, you know, what it can be, right? Exactly. I, the way I look at it, you know, what's not to love is wine, it's London, and it's a whole lot of people under one roof uh, with a passion for the same product, you know? 100%. How, how can you not enjoy that experience? So it was really about kind of bringing that sense of enjoyment back. And, you know, I definitely don't fit the archetypal um, kind of wine trade figure of the past. I mean, it's very much changing now, but, you know, um, well. when I started out, you know, coming, going to a comprehensive school, being female, you know, I didn't really necessarily have the red trousers and <laughs> I, I felt like I could just through the fact that I love wine and I've worked in wine for 20 years, I could sort of demonstrate through my own position that, that one doesn't need to come from a specific background or need to be um, fitting a certain model. But, you know, that really is a different scene now. To work in wine now versus in 1999 is, you know, there are lots of women doing really great things and not and, and everybody comes from a, certainly a more diverse background not as diverse as it ought to be but it's a sure. big shift already there is there is and we, we are seeing uh, a lot more of those shifts as well so which is always a positive thing so no we, we will keep on contributing to make that happen no doubt about it and you mentioned obviously 2020 was meant to be uh, London Wayfair's 40th anniversary and you have previously mentioned you had plans which you wanted to keep under wraps uh, before because understandably so um 
as again we've touched upon the event wasn't able to go ahead um are we now in for a larger celebration uh this year all being well and would you be able to share any insights with us or is that still uh very much under wraps well the way we run it is we we launch our visitor promotion campaign in mid-february and then we you know we tease ideas in through the, the months running up to the event and obviously just as that was about to kick off uh, last year, uh, we then learned the news that the the um, virus was coming ever closer with, with days. I'm sure everyone was watching it in the same way, sort of listening to the news, seeing it creeping closer. So we knew that it, it may be impossible for us to run the event. We still see 2021 as our 40th edition. It is. So we will it celebrate is. it thus. Um, and we still want to have some element of um, ex- surprise and excitement but we do have some really lovely ideas of it, some of which we were already talking about and I can mention now which okay. would be a huge um, auction with celebrity auctioneers to to help support the drinks trust we're incredibly close to um, wow. we're sort of um, patrons of if you like and um, will involve some incredibly exciting lots and some big names um, banging the gavel. If, if it needs to be online, it can be, but things are looking rather positive for next May. Um, yes. We have to prepare for the worst just in case, you know, and we have made provisions for social distancing if, if that's still in place. And we've made um, adjustments to how you book and, and visit the fair in case those restrictions are still in place but we feel quite confident that with every week that's passing now and the rules are changing via the government for what um, events and exhibitions are able to do that it feels very sensible unrisky to 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 say that may can happen um and even if it happens with um, a small amount of restrictions it shouldn't impede what we want to achieve because it's also injected a huge amount of inspiration in terms of where we take London Wine Fair digitally. And we are currently working on a really exciting new platform to launch alongside the live event to ensure that if there are any international exhibitors who can't travel or visitors who can't travel, that there will still be an amazing opportunity to attend, in inverted commas, um, the London Wine Fair digitally speaking. So, you know, with every blow and you cannot underestimate how terrific the blow on the events industry has been. Mm. Um, while we're really conscious and, and empathetic of how desperately difficult it's been for the on-trade, because that, that's our market and, and we love it, um, and the, the off-trades and the indies, we also sort of trying to grapple with the fact that we work in the events industry, although we serve the wine industry. Yeah. And uh, the events industry has had, you know, the heart ripped out of it it's it's virtually impossible for a lot of the um events providers to to keep going to to manage to get through an entire year with with no revenue so feel incredibly fortunate to still have a job feel incredibly fortunate that we are planning for 2021 and that we are able to to see some of these blows as real as real inspiration as a chance to do the things we've sort of wanted to do for a long time and perhaps haven't had the the prompt to do it as quickly or as um you know in in such a way if you like so so highs and lows really from from what's happened uh, definitely and i think you've made you've made a great point there obviously everything's all, always about improvisation and sometimes 
uh, to, to put it mildly, we do need that kick up the backside to sometimes aggressively move towards, you know, adaptation. Uh, and as I said, like, especially through that digital format where you've seen it, I've seen it, you've probably taken part in a few like myself where we've done some, you know, virtual Zoom wine tasting, you know, uh, masterclasses or get togethers, even with family, you know, you, you may be sharing a, a bottle with your grandparents or, you know, in-laws and whatnot via Zoom. And again, that is a way in which we need to innovate to help help our businesses, you know, still be sustainable, I suppose, right? So um, I think we're all being driven to more diversification and that's no bad thing. I think those who are very niche and specific have learned that having all the eggs in one basket is dangerous. I mean, not that anyone could have predicted this really, but this impact or this length of time, but, but, you know, it is dangerous to have all your eggs in one basket. And, mm. um, you know, wine companies have been diversifying for some time now where they used to be far more niche. That, so what our exhibitor type companies have, have already sort of been really astute in recognizing that it perhaps doesn't do well to just only serve one sector of, you know, or one demographic or one way of serving. So those that are purely on trade suppliers are now very much seeing that it it might make sense to try and spread more sectors so that if there is a, a big blow to one, you have always got some legs still to stand on. Absolutely. And with, with that in mind, um, you kind of touched upon a couple of points for the next question. And obviously planning for such a large event, I'd assume as one ends, you're already thinking about the next. And with so many guests, exhibitors, speakers from all across the globe, globe rather, how has this affected your planning process for, for this year, for 2021? And will we be seeing any noticeable changes? You know, for example, fewer international exhibitors or, um, you know, fewer guests, more virtual speakers and more use of technology. Yes, you definitely will be seeing. So your first assumption is correct. In fact, the timeline is actually even longer for for some of our participants. So where we're working with um, government bodies to provide um, funds for um, international pavilions, you might be looking at more like a two-year or even slightly longer um, time frame to, to plan in a large pavilion to have the funds and then to deliver it. Um, so sometimes we might be thinking now about um, 2022 for um, for some of our pavilions, uh, and so the, the pandemic has been um, troublesome. <laughs> Not gonna lie, it hasn't helped. No, um, no. And yes, as soon as we're closing down one show, oftentimes if it's a massive change, you actually want to announce the change at the end of a year. So you've already had to plan it before the event that's coming so that you can announce it there so so timelines are really long um at the same time as things changing really rapidly so you almost have to have sort of three plans on the go occasionally just in just because you can't be sure of what will come in what won't come in what might happen what might not um so london wife last year had over 80 um masterclasses and sessions wow so it is it is a huge kind of mix of different nationalities different subjects different topics different people speakers some of those will come through some won't um 
it is it's a question of being pretty organized in advance and and then trying to be very nimble at the same time so when one thing changes another thing slots in there um yeah i don't think i could describe it any other way you sort of have God, to- no, you're right i love that word nimble as well that's that's something that i use quite often in my vocabulary so and it's, it's the best way to describe um you know the ongoing uh, situations that we're dealing with because they're we don't know if these jabs are going to work. We're hearing allergic reactions, this, that, and the other. May or may not work. People can fly in on on business and not need to self-isolate and not need to wear masks. And again, we're hearing so many things on a on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Yeah. It's, so you kind of have to prepare for the worst, but also prepare that it may not be so restrictive and yeah all at the same time and i think that's one thing we do have in our favor versus some of the other bigger international uh, wine events um that we're you know not quite as big and in the past that's been a frustration yeah. <laughs> but this year it's actually been a huge relief to to be able to be more nimble and and make some changes quite rapidly um change up the floor plan very quickly change up the entire sales pack the offering and introduce a digital offering um you know quite quickly because i have a small team but we work very closely together um and we're kind of mind readers of each other to this point now because we work so closely so it it is it's very helpful um and i do feel incredibly excited that for for 2021 it looks as though all being well touch all the wood fingers crossed will be the first out the trap and uh that's that's an amazing opportunity to be you know to come out in may as the first big international large-scale wine exhibition and um and also offer an entirely new product that is a first i think um certainly none of the other large-scale events are planning or have done what we've got planned for next year so yeah all very exciting i run the risk of sounding very stupid and possibly even naive here, right? But um, obviously London Wine Fair is a brand. Uh, There are a lot of major names that do attend and showcase, massive names without question. And obviously you mentioned there are competitors across Europe and, you know, again, uh, you know, stateside and Southeast Asia, whatnot. Would would there be, uh, and again, this comes from a slight place of naivety, as I mentioned earlier, would there be like a... Any chance that London Wine Fair would expand, maybe in England or in Europe, or is it predominantly, it's London, it's a wine fair, it's staying in London, that's that? Um, Part of the bigger picture and the longer term plan is to, um, and one of the things I really enjoy doing, is to create more of um, an extendable brand of it and uh, and to, to grow it, of course. Um, So we do have our ambitions on that, but I was very clear when I came on board that that first you've got to get your your initial offering right and you've got to get it in a place that you want it to be before you you take your first steps before you try and run so um there is an ambition and there is um for that five-year plan that you mentioned the possibility of of some um some growth internationally um i think would be foolish not to look at it but we really are certainly for the next edition or two we're really very much focusing on bringing back the love to the uk and to to getting our offering spot on making sure that the exhibitors really feel the value of it before we then stretch ourselves overseas if you like no for sure and like i said the uk london in particular offers that romantic you know romantic side of things when it comes to the uh when it comes to the drinks trade as well so yeah we back you on that 
we're really respected um, from, we have um, a handful of international agents that we work with for, for London Wine Fair and uh, speaking to them is always a really rewarding experience because you get to hear how we're viewed from the outside and there is still a tremendous amount of um, respect for how much um, business is done via London and well the UK really, not just London, but sure. very much that the UK is seen as a platform a space um, that, um, of early adopters, if you like, where ideas and, and brands are formed and grown from. And so there is still a really persisting feeling that it is the place to be. Definitely, definitely. So with that in mind, obviously with London Wine Fair, you, you and your team there made a remodeling decision to, to charge some uh, trade visitors. What, why was that and how was that received initially? Um, that's quite a big question. Um, and it was something that we took a lot of time thinking about and we considered so many different options. I guess the, clear, the first clear answer is that um, to see a value in something Sometimes people sort of need to pay for it. If you offer something for free, then are you suggesting that it has no value? And I think in the yeah, and I think that you know that's not that's not a good enough reason in and of itself to start charging people. But it's certainly a concept that we wrestled with and decided that you know there is a huge huge value in attending London Wine Fair. You've got the access to over eighty sessions. You've got hundreds of exhibitors and thousands of samples. There's an a massive intrinsic value in attending. As I say, that's not the sole reason. The other right. reason is that space in London comes at a premium. It's incredibly expensive to take out Olympia for six days. Mm. And with every year, the price goes up. And with every year, we cannot continue to charge exhibitors more. So as a business model, it only seems right and fair that the cost of putting on the fair is shared amongst not only the exhibitors, but the visitors. Agreed. Now, clearly, some of those visitors are hugely valuable to the exhibitors and, and would, you know, they would want to invite them. So we've always enabled our exhibitors to have a certain number of guest passes so that they can ensure that those incredibly important customers can come at their expense, if you like. But if you're coming to London Wine Fair as a non-exhibitor who is a member of the trade and actually is there really on more business to sell their own wine, then why should those exhibitors who've paid for their space um, really be paying for their competitors to come and do business yeah, in the same point. space? Yeah. So it, it made sense to me that that um, this cost should be shared amongst both. And um, and that's why we started out on that journey. So we, we very quickly realized that it was quite easy through a kind of algorithm at the back end of our registration system to quickly work out whether somebody is coming to the fair to buy or to sell. And for the first year, we decided that it made sense to start by just charging those people who are in a commercial position mm. of selling and then um, invite those who are uh, verified buyers to attend for free with a year two model. Um, splitting the cost across everybody, more in the more akin to something like Provine. Yes, yes. everybody. I mean, yeah. I pay to go to Provine. Everybody pays. Yeah. So it's not something the trade aren't used to. They're just not used to it with London Wine Fair. Mm. I mean, to, to be frank, though, it is a very sound strategy um, for sure. Because, like you said, why charge 
um, Tom, Dick or Harry and not charge other people as well because like you said equally Tom, Dick or Harry will be paying for their competitors and it's, there's no equal uh, platform there is there And lo- I, was, I thought it was the most fair and rational way of going ahead and in fact when you asked how it was received it, it, unsurprisingly it was received very well by the exhibitors <laughs> yes. felt that they, as long as they could invite their, their chosen guests they were quite happy for other competitors to pay to come in um, in terms of um, being ill-received, of course, those those members of the trade who decided not to exhibit were somewhat irked that all of a sudden they were being asked to attend the fair. And there are a lot of people who said, you know, we've been coming to London Wine Fair for 30 years and never paid. And of course, there was some dissatisfaction about it, but it, it was expected. It was understood. And, you know, we, we get it. It would be, you know, no one wants to spend money if they didn't have to. It's, it's true, though, because obviously for me, when I, you know, we, we deal with wine more as an investment. And um, I've got clients who are used to, as an example, paying £2,000 for 12 bottles of Chateau Lafitte. And so now when you can't even, when you can't even get six bottles for, for less than three and a half, four thousand pounds, it's initially a shock to them because they say, oh, I was used to buying Chateau Lafitte for X, but once they, like you said, once they get over that initial shock, you, you understand we're in a different world now. Things, costs have gone up, everything else has gone up and it's just, again, we need to improvise, adapt and overcome. It's what we must do. And either you get with the program or you don't because as harsh as it is, it is only business and there's always going to be other people who are wanting to attend these major wine fairs or, you know, buy prestigious cases of wine for whatever their costs are. But um, just if you don't mind me asking, you mentioned, of course, about Provine and um, obviously their show is not going ahead. Is it with that? Is that, bear in mind, touch wood, fingers crossed, as you mentioned earlier, London Wine Fair um, will go ahead in May. Is that then an opportunity for some of, you know, the people who may, say, attend Provine um, that cannot attend, they might see London Wi-Fi and go, okay, I'm going to come over um, to London. Is that an opportunity or is that not really, does that not marry up? Um, it, it is, definitely, absolutely. I think it's a blessing and a curse. Um, when I heard the news, uh, first reaction is to be empathetic. You know, it's, it's a horrible industry to be in right now with all the uncertainties. And these are real people working on it, just like yes. we're real people working on ours. And and to have two years of not being able to go ahead is intolerable. And I, I you know, obviously, as a London Wine Fair team, we send our condolences and, and feel for all those humans over there too. But of course, you also then consider your own entity and think, how does it affect? And I think the blessing is, of course, that Provine is bigger than us. Everybody knows that. And we um, usually follow them in the year. And so, of course, for that space before London Wine Fair, there is a big, um, you know, share of voice given to Provine. So we, we obviously, if we are the first out the traps, which it now looks like we will be with Vinitaly and Vinexpo moving behind us, mm. we see that opportunity and we understand that that gives us, a, a, you know, a benefit. Um, a curse, I guess, is that we're already all suffering enough uncertainty um, and a lot of our exhibitors are very fearful of committing to something if there's a chance it doesn't go ahead. And if your biggest competitor falls and doesn't go ahead, then there is an assumption that that might also be the case for our event. Um, And what we need to 
really get out there as a message and what we're working on as a message is transmitting that first of all we're very different animals we're far smaller therefore more nimble event we're big but we're not as big as provine um so yeah you know we we can can move more rapidly um equally we have two more months now in the timeline of covid that so much can change and as we all know kicking off with lovely margaret and Coventry the other day the you know the the vaccine is now being disseminated and the you know given the tests have been you know we've been following the science it seems likely although there were concerns and worries it seems very likely that it will be effective and that it will change the landscape quite dramatically once the most vulnerable people in society are taken care of and looked after and ensured that they can't be infected mm. you know that starts to shift and change the way the rest of society can operate and certainly the government and the uk government um response has been to give the events industry are clearer guidelines on what we can do and from when and we now see this this opportunity for may being quite different so where the government are saying life will resume some degree of normality by easter well we're a good while after easter so we feel that as we are already prepared for the worst it's it's very rational to presume that we will get this we will get this beast out in may (laughs) we will make it happen and you know the events industry that's what we're good at we we are very different from other industries in that we build our show to be fit for purpose you know if you're a pub or a restaurant it's very difficult for you because you're stuck with the physicality of your building whatever it may be and therefore you can only work with that but we actually build a small town in a day and we can build it with wider aisles and we can build yep. it fit for purpose for social distancing and we can we can make what we need to make happen so mm-hmm. but also the other rather wonderful thing about exhibitions is we're experts in track and trace we know who's in our building and who's not in our building. We know who we're inviting. We know whether they're coming or they're not coming. We know whether they're scanned in and scanned out. So we know their inside leg measurements. We know their email addresses. Absolutely. We know their phone numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, that's what we do. We track and trace. And so if we need to limit numbers or clear the building for a clean down and, and bring in another session, we can do that. So it's it's a kind of different kettle of fish than maybe trying to run a large scale sporting event where everybody must arrive at the same time and watch the same thing so yes. trade exhibitions are almost designed to cope with any expectation of how people move around them perfect perfect okay and um just the last couple of uh, last couple of questions then uh, before we wrap this up um obviously I, i'm excited about uh coming this year i'm hoping i won't be charged i'm hoping she won't charge me but um uh, <laughs> no I'll pay, i always pay my way I always pay my way but um i've noticed over the years that the, ra- that the range of products from uh the london wine fair has broadened to include spirits you know gins uh, cognacs sakis uh, do you see this trend continuing and how broad do you think you could go before diluting the brand i think we are london wine fair it is a wine event um it is predominantly wine um and funnily enough actually i'd say there's probably i've been going to london wine fair for 20 years now and i've exhibited at a couple of them back in the past and back in the day i mean there was an entire spirits show um within a show so there's certainly a lot less spirits than those days what we do allow for is 
if as long as an exhibitor is predominantly showing wine we allow them to show if they have a spirit in their portfolio we allow them to show it and then we have a section um called drinks britannia which is to reflect the fact that we're on our home turf we're celebrating the products that are made here and we decided that we wanted to enable that to be not just wines but also to show um, spirits and beers that we produce here as well so that as a sort of brand within London Wine Fair does increase I guess the, the number of spirits and, and beer products that are shown at the fair but mm. it's very much as a celebration of UK turf because we feel like if if we are in the UK and the buyers are coming to the UK to buy or buying within the UK they want to have an opportunity to see the biggest range of British products that we have so um, it isn't an ambition currently to, to launch um, uh, an event that is equally spirits beer and wine um, although there, there is some merit in that a lot of people do buy across the sectors but it is our ambition to allow um, if an importer has a spirit they may show it within their range and it is um, you know, we do want to see the growth of Drinks Britannia, possibly moving that into the consumer sphere as well, because there's such an appetite for British consumers to to drink homegrown products and to know the backstory and to reduce their carbon footprint by buying locally. So that's that's something that we're really seeing um an appetite for if you like sure excellent excellent and just lastly given the opportunity is there anyone from the wine industry past or present that you'd love to hear speak and ask a few questions to someone who's inspired or motivated you in your career like for me for me i think most of my clients most people who know me would know it, it would be robert parker jr that's for me that's my personal preference but um for yeah for, for yourself there's been a really big handful of people who've inspired me massively over the last 20 years. Um, some of them are with us still and some of them not. Um, and, you know, I started out at Decanter and I very much saw um, and was impressed by the way that Sarah Kemp handled mm-hmm. the whole operation and took it very global. And she, I left Decanter after several happy years thinking one day I'll have my own drinks magazine. And so I can't not mention her because I think she was a big part of that. And uh, and it did happen. Um, I remember very fondly working with Charles Metcalf for years on some of the trade titles and just wow. being utterly inspired by his just love for the topic and for storytelling. And uh, there's one long weekend where we were both working at Taste of London and I was putting on a series of masterclasses for sponsors. And uh, dear Charles did 24 masterclasses over three days. Wow. And he never faltered. He never appeared tired. He never appeared bored with the subject. He (laughs) gave a new story to each audience and he told it with absolute joy. So that was a real moment for me of realizing just how passion can drive a person. Um, But not to sound trite, but I think not that I've ever really overlapped with her. I have to mention Genesis, you know, her career spans my entire life. Um, she, I think she kicked off her career around about while I was being born, but I don't think from the outside I have ever witnessed more of a machine of a person. She is incredible. Her, she, her knowledge is mind-boggling on the, on the topic of wine, but just coupling that with the commercial astuteness, the personable 
side of her and raising a family of three children and managing to get just about every accolade that's ever been offered in the industry. It's true. It's just- I, would, I would go on to say with Jancis, she's more than just, well, when you think of Jancis Romsen, you don't, don't just think of um, one of the most well-respected wine critics, wine authors, things of authority in wine. You also think of Jancis Robinson, the brand. Yes. I mean, she's a marvel. And I'm really delighted to say that, I mean, just before the pandemic struck, for the first time, we actually started um, to talk about working together on London Wine Fair, which we'll be picking back up um, and, you know, celebrating the 40th anniversary with her involved. So um, that is something that will keep slightly under wraps as to what form that will take. But it, it was a joy to know that she was keen to be a part of the event and to to work with me on something really celebratory for the industry, if you like. So um, it does sound a bit trite and she's... Uh, it doesn't. She's an, ama- she, she's an amazing... She's a, she's an amazing ambassador, for sure. And, to, you know, still to be, yeah, to be going for this long, um, she's always improved her game. You know, um, yeah, yeah she's, she's incredible for sure. Definitely, she, she sets a benchmark, no questions about it. But, uh, she sure does. Yep. I mean, uh, the, getting the MW before you even enter the trade is just right? unheard of. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Fine. So that's probably my big, my big one. Um, but yeah, lots of people along the way have inspired me. I, I very much miss Michael Cox, who was such a brilliant leader for Wines of Chile. Um, he was a real kind of... Uh, mentor to me and always listened and gave great advice and that's someone I you know in terms of missing them and wishing they still had a hand in the trade um, for sure Michael excellent excellent fine well on that high note Hannah I'd like to say thank you very much for joining us today um, fingers crossed as I said for the next few months happening in May hope to, hope to see you there I will let you guys know at home if I do get a free uh, free entry I'll pass on the voucher code uh, <laughs> but no Hannah double cost double cost for you exactly thank you (laughs) but no thank you once again and you're welcome um, thanks for having me no thank you as well and uh, thank you very much for watching another great episode of the Colson Boutique Show and until next time all the best